0: comprehending God's goodness in a crazy world. Comprehending God's goodness in a crazy world. How many would say that you, would, you believe we live in a crazy world? It's a gnarly, crazy world. But how, how many of you also say God's good? So the craziness of the world and the circumstances that we see going on around the world, and even maybe in our life, doesn't determine God's goodness in our life. We sprung last week out of Psalms 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I shared this illustration with you. I love steak. Steak is my love language. Um, I I really do. I love eating steak. If you don't eat meat, just pretend like I'm talking about an eggplant. But I I love steak. So so, um, last week I was talking about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And um, I love hearing about different restaurants and then going and trying them out, right? But if somebody says, hey, Jason, this place has the best steak you'll ever eat. I'm never going to know that unless I go to that restaurant for myself and try one of those steaks. So as an illustration, I cooked a steak for each service last week and brought it out in front of you. And um, was any of you here last week to see that? Okay, yeah. It's amazing that only half of you come to church. If everybody came the same day, I don't know what we'd do. But that's why we're having four services December 20th. Anyway, so I, I cut that steak, and I was like, mm, that's good. It was good because I cooked it. I'm just kidding. It's good, but that's the way God is, and, and you, can't, you can't understand the goodness of God until you start reading the Word, and until you start uh, hanging out with people who understand the goodness of God, so today I thought we would get into this idea of thinking about the goodness of God, how the goodness of God plays out in our own life, how, what it allows us to do when we focus on the goodness of God, and so I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you today, Hopefully, you're taking notes. If not, all these scriptures will be online tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, like if you do a life group for us or you lead a devotion every week, some of these scriptures would be really good to have like in your bank. Good? You ready? Number one, the goodness of God leads us to walking in victory. 2 Corinthians two fourteen through 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So that can seem confusing. Let's go back and let's, let, let's look. The goodness of God leads us to walking in victory. So verse 14 right here says, but, but thanks be to God who always leads us, you and I, in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Let's look at this idea of a triumphal procession. Because when you read the bible you can't just read the bible and say you know what this stuff's too confusing for me And I don't really understand it. So i'm not going to read it I'm going to let somebody else tell me what the bible says don't ever do that read the bible for yourself but also, when you study the Bible and you read it, you have to look at when certain scriptures were written so that you can understand what they actually mean. So you're building a contextual cultural bridge between when the scripture was written to our, day life, our everyday life today. Good? So the, the idea of a triumphal procession. I mean, if I went home tomorrow after work and, said, and Raina said, how was your day? And I said, I was involved in a triumphal procession. She'd be like... Sit down, let me get you something to eat. <laughs> but to understand why this was written, you have to understand how kings would go to war. Kings would go to war, the Bible says, say in the springtime. And so what would happen is, is kings and their people and their armies would go to war. And obviously there was a victor and there was somebody that got beat. There was a loser. Which, so, so then what the king would do, the victorious king, The victorious king would take the other king and anybody who was left alive and he would lead them in a procession back to his city. And when they got close to his city at the city gates, which every city had, there would be trumpets playing and they would enter the city gate and he would enter as a triumphal king. And all the people who who stayed behind and didn't go fight would have prepared this amazing procession like a parade, trumpets going, drums playing. So, so to illustrate this, can I borrow you guys? Come here. All right, so you're the king that got defeated. You're the king's servant. I get to be the victorious king. And so what the king would do is he would lead. Come on, guys. We've already done this twice. <laughs> He would lead, and there would be pomp, and there would be circumstance, and there would be people, yeah, our, oh, hell, the king, our king won, our king defeated the enemy, and, and because here is the energy that would come from that, the energy that would come from that is because when they saw their king coming in triumph, they knew the other king wasn't going to come raid their city and take them in a procession. Make sense? That's why they were so happy. So, here, so we're, and people are yelling, and people are screaming, and people are going crazy. Oh, hell, the king. And I'm talking about triumphal procession. God says he leads us in Christ. So, so he leads them and, and he keeps going, and he leads them. And when they would get to the center of town, they would have built, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what would happen? And obviously, this is a poor showing here. Like, <laughs> just, just pretend there's a bunch of people everywhere. But, but what the king would do is he would take in his kingly way, and he would sit up on, on like his throne in the middle of, of, the, of the city, and he would give them two choices, and he would say, "Now you can bow to me or we're going to cut your head off." it's if... <laughs> so funny in the um and if you quit, you guys sit down In the first service, there were several more, thank you, thank you. They cracked me up in the first service because they, they, We didn't put all any of this together, they didn't even know I was doing it And, and as soon as I said you could bow or get your head cut off, all of them went it Made me laugh, really Now, so, going back to the scripture You guys still with me? A triumphal procession who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of knowledge of him. The goodness of God is found in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross allows me to walk in victory. It allows me to walk in freedom. And so the picture you have to get here is we are in a procession that is led by the King of King and Lord of Lords, and he's leading that. And we get to be in that victorious procession if we take advantage of it. The Bible says that, that he, he defeated the enemy on the cross, making an open spectacle of him. So, so Jesus Christ goes to the cross, gives his life, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father and leading this victorial, triumphant procession. So he has taken... Everything of the enemy, including the enemy, captured. He has captured and made a spectacle. And so addiction has been captured. And he's leading it. Generational curses like divorce and alcoholism and, and, and spousal abuse and anger. And, and here he is leading all that because it's been defeated at the cross. Are y'all getting this? So he, he, he's leading in a, in a magnificent procession. And here's, here's one thing the Bible says. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Jesus has already won the victory at the cross. And he leads today for us a victorious procession if we will allow him to help us through his word, through his spirit, to live in victory and to live in freedom. We get a chance to be a part of that here in everyday life and days to come. Go to verse 15. Why is it important to be a part of that and walk into freedom? For we, you and I, are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So, if, and we're, let me put it like this. We, being Christians, who have given our heart to the Lord, we know that we're imperfect. We're never going to get it right all the time. But as we explore the Bible and as we try to live the best we can in reference to the Bible and be who God's called us to be, there is an element of freedom and victory that comes along with that. And when you're walking in victory in a certain area of your life, then what you are is an aroma. What you are is you're a sweet, like, you ever heard somebody say you're a, a, a breath of fresh air for eyes or what is it you're bl- yeah, you're a breath of fresh air. And, and when we live our life that way, then, then for those around us who long for that victory, who long to understand why we can be happy in times of trouble, who long for that peace, who long for that joy, who long for that hope, uh, Paul uses the word aroma. In other words, there's, there's an aroma of who Jesus really is working through us and in us, out into a lost and dying world. And we get to be part of that procession. A triumphal procession. That's hard to say. You want to try Go ahead. Trium- triumphal procession. It's a tough one. Number two, the goodness of God leads us in God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The goodness of God leads us in God's will. And so there's a pattern here. If I'm up against a circumstance and I'm up against an area of my life where I really don't know like, how to navigate it, which direction to take, and I've read my Bible and I've researched the Word of God, but I'm still confused, here has worked what's worked for me in the past. What's worked for me in the past is beginning to give thanks in all circumstance. Now, in every circumstance, you, it, you can't. you have to be an idiot to give thanks for the circumstance in all circumstances. Does that make sense? Like, I'm never going to give thanks that somebody gets cancer. I'm never going to give thanks that somebody's sick. So, But but what I can do for that person or for myself, I can begin to give thanks for the good things in my life, focusing on the goodness of God. If I'm trying to make a business decision or I'm trying to make a, a parental decision, let's go with parenting. That's a fun one. Both of my kids are grown now, so I get to talk about parenting a lot more now. Because when they were younger, it was like, Ooh, Don't say why you're such an idiot, Dad? Why would you do that? Like, the will for a parent, first of all, we know, like, there's certain areas that we don't have to really research in the Bible. Like, don't kill your kids, even if they deserve it. Right? We don't we don't have to give thanks and praise God for his will in that. But what about giving thanks? to God in that circumstance where maybe your child's going through something and you don't know how to help them. You ever been there? There's there's an element of something going on in one one of your children and you're like totally confused about it. Maybe they're away from God and, and the faith factor is not even anywhere on their radar right now. And, and maybe you're in that place of trying to give up and thinking about giving up. There'll never be anything good. They'll never make it. They'll never. Can I just tell you, you could take that circumstance and you can start giving thanks for the other areas around that circumstance. And before long, you'll be giving thanks for your child. It's God's will. And when you give thanks in the middle of a circumstance, it then sometimes will enlighten scripture. For those of you who've walked with God for a while, it's so interesting that you can, read, you can read a scripture and you're like, oh, okay. And then later in life, you can read it again. You're like, oh, that's so good. Well, the Bible doesn't change, but we sure do, right? I mean, we've got a grandchild coming and that's totally changing my whole life. From what I hear. So so the idea is to give thanks. If you're struggling with God's will in a certain area of your life, whatever it might be. Struggling for direction. Just begin to practice giving thanks. Number three, the goodness of God leads us to say thank you. And you're probably like, okay, Jason, that's pretty stupid. Yeah, well, sure. We're all thankful people. Do some assessment of your own self right now. And think just for a moment, this past week, how many times have you stopped to say thank you to someone else or stopped to say thank you to God for the blessings in your life? You're like, well, he really hadn't blessed me this week. Are you here? <laughs> well, well, I've been too busy. Well, he's not too busy. So, so when we focus on the goodness of God, I'm going to read this story and in Luke. Chapter 17, verses 12 through 9. It's a little lengthy, but let's read the whole thing because I believe that it will identify in us, especially in our busy culture and all this stuff that we got going on because we get so important, it will help us understand how God views one of his children who refuses to say thank you. You ready? As he was going into a village, speaking of Jesus, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Verse 13. And called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So as they obeyed the word of the Lord, God worked in their heart. One of them, when he saw he was healed, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return? And give praise to God, except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus, in perfect Jesus fashion, he can't forget who's probably around Jesus at this time because at this point, the Pharisees are following him everywhere because he's the going thing. And so he's not really talking to the Samaritan. He's talking to everybody else around him trying to prove a point of, hey, so, so here are the lepers and they're, they're at a distance for we know by studying the Bible They weren't allowed inside the city Because it was obviously very contagious So they would make these camps Outside of the city gates and, and so that they could get provision Every once in a while And so they would become kind of like a family And so we see this Samaritan who was a foreigner Who didn't, didn't belong in that land Who was hated by Jewish people He's hanging out with them Because misery loves company And once you have something like leprosy You really don't care what color somebody is once you, once you have something like leprosy, you really don't care about stupid things anymore. So here, here we have, so then here they come, hey Jesus, loud, hey, hey. He goes, all right, let's see how much faith you have. He tells them what to do. He tells them what to do. They go about and do it, and they're healed. And one person comes back and says, thank you. So we can start at simplistic things like, oh God, thank you for my salvation, 'Cause some of us can walk with God for so long, we begin to take even that for granted. God, thank you for the cross. God, thank you for hope. Thank you for joy. Thank you for peace. And so he he just doesn't come back, he comes back praising God in a loud voice. And, and he says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus asks the question that I think that God asked about me a lot of days of my life. Jason, don't you remember the other nine things I've done for you? Don't you? Well, like, when are you going to stop and really be, when is that going to lead you to say thank you on a daily basis? Because we're all so blessed anyway, right? When is it going to, when is it going to lead us to a lifestyle of saying thank you? Because you got this leper who had lived outside the city gate. He was a foreigner. He wasn't liked by anyone. And now here, here he comes after being healed. I love this because this totally wrecks religion, right? It totally, because, first of all, religion said don't associate with the Samaritans. That's where the good Samaritan story came from. So, so uh, and I won't get into that, but remember the Levi, the priest, everybody came by, I wouldn't help. So, so in other words, so now you've got him going, I was just healed. I've been, I've been completely healed. His only response that he could think of in his mind was to go back to Jesus and thank him for what he had done. All the rejection, all the outcasts, all the nights spent picking sores, all the days of going to dirty water outside the city and soaking himself while he longed to probably get in some clean water that was inside the city gates, but he knew if he got close to the city gates, someone's going to shoot him because they didn't want to be a leper. So now he's healed. There's no leprosy anywhere. His skin's been made right. That's a good day. So he goes back into the city. Now remember, Jesus, like he always did, would wind up in the center of the city, center of the city, talking with people who needed him and talking to people who wanted to kill him. Here comes the leper. Here comes the leper that everyone else knew had been a leper. He's healed. He's healed. He's healed, and he uses this very story at this very moment to speak to the religious people around him that have forgotten to say thank you because they're missing the point. May our church never become full of people like that. He's just happy for what God did for him and had to go back and, and say thank you and praising God. You know, one of the reasons that we sing on Sunday mornings, and I hope that never becomes a tradition to you, um, but one of the reasons we do that is because in a worship service, we want to give people and ourselves a chance to say, God, I praise you. Thank you. Thank you for working that situation out in my life. Thank you. Maybe you're new to the Lord and, and you're like, why do people raise their hands? We're worshiping God. Why, why do we sing those songs every week? Because we're giving ourselves a place to come back to center and realize who God is in our life and bring giving thanks to him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. I mean, the most simple things in the Bible are the most, the, most of the things we should be doing. So, so don't ever miss an opportunity to say thank you. Don't ever miss an opportunity. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my job. I get so tired of hearing people gripe about their job. Because after I have that lunch with that person, I'll go have coffee with another person person that's broken and they've been looking for a job for six months to a year, they would do anything if someone would hire them. And and this other guy's like, it's a job. The Bible only says the things we do for the Lord are promised to be good things. It's a job that brings a paycheck that gives you food. Be thankful for it. So, so in other words, The goodness of God leads me to say thank you, not only to him, but those around me. Number four, I believe it is. The the goodness of God leads us to contentment. Contentment. This is an interesting idea in our culture, isn't it? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you say in everyday life you struggle with being discontent? Discontent with your spouse, discontent with your job, discontent with your car, discontent with your house, discontent with your children, discontent, 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 and you no, no, I'm very thankful for. Blah, 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 blah. Does your thought patterns and your attitudes in everyday life point towards you being a content person? Because watch this, First Timothy six, six and seven, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness and contentment, there's a math problem going on here that has an equation. Godliness plus contentment brings great gain. But then you're thrown into this whirlwind of verse 7 where we're told, hey, buddy, you didn't bring anything into the world and you're not taking anything out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought you just got through telling me that if I practice godliness and contentment, there's going to be great gain to have, be had. Now you're telling me, hey, get over it. You didn't bring anything in with you. You're not taking anything out. What, what, what are we to take from this? When we try our best to live a life of godliness and we're content with what God has given us, then we have a great gain that's not only going to allow us to make an impact on other people on this earth it's also going to allow us to store up treasures in heaven the Bible says you can't take anything with you right and, and it also says all the things that you did outside of God's will for your life are going to be burned up like straw like they're just going to be burned up so all the degrees I hang on my wall all the the, the Things that I do, and people say, Hey, what did you do that? What did you do that? If I didn't do for do the Lord, if I did not do them for the Lord, the Bible says they'll be burned up at the day of judgment. So, how do I how do I live a life of godliness and contentment for that great gain so that one day I'll stand before God? And thank you, Jason, for being content more than you were discontent. So here's the illustration. Well, what do you what do you see here? What is this? Why? Well, so who said moonshine? You you were in the last were you in the first service or last service? You're such a sinner, Andrew. God. Somebody said moonshine the first. I'm gonna hook you guys up. Yeah, maybe maybe y'all can be accountability partners. Yeah. It's water, it's water. When you look at, at this right here, this this jar, this mason jar, what do you see? I see a jar that's half. Are, yeah, and everybody always likes to be on the bandwagon. Oh, I see it half full. Well, can okay, you just admit yourself that you also see it half empty? Because something can't be half full without being half em- half empty. Good. So I'm looking at this, and let's just look at the the. Here is here's the danger. Here's the temptation. Outside of godliness and contentment, we ha- we can focus way much more. On what we don't have than what God has given us. And if we're not careful, we, we get in this pattern of looking at all these things that maybe someone else we know has. how do they get that boat? How do they have that business? Well, you know what? <clears throat> maybe God's given you hope Maybe he's giving you joy and maybe he's giving you peace. And you look at somebody else, man, they got it all together. And maybe they go home and their life is in shambles. They don't have any hope. They don't have any joy. They don't have any peace. But yet the the spirit of this world tells you to look at those things. Well, I would Discontentment. Even spiritually, we can say, you know what? How come God blesses those people all the time and God never blesses me? Oh, really? Really? He never blesses you? So God being the water. So now watch this. Godliness and contentment. So we see a glass half full or half empty or what are you going to say. So here's another glass. What you see now? It's, okay. it's a wood floor. It's a mason jar. No, no one's back there. It's going to be okay. Ooh, what is that? This service is full of the passive people because the other two services didn't say anything. You're like, yeah, get on with it. We got to go somewhere. (laughs) What do you see now? Now, did God change? Did the amount of water change? My perspective changed. My perspective changed. Oh, wow. Thank you, God, for a cup overflowing. God's like, dude, I've been blessing you for a while. You're just looking at what you don't have, and you're missing out on what you have. Because I see a glass that is full, almost to overflowing, yet it's the same God, the same water, that was poured in the other jar. What if we lived our life in godliness and contentment? And when we do, there's great gain to be had. Because we didn't bring anything into this world, and we're not going to take anything out with us except for the things that we do for God. Good. Last thing: the goodness of God brings strength in all circumstances. Strength in all circumstances. We talked about rejoicing and being thankful in circumstances, allowing God to work in different circumstances, walking in victory. But let's look at Habakkuk three seventeen through nineteen. I told you I was going to give you a lot of scriptures today. Write them down. Go back. Look, read them. Research them. Here's what Habakkuk says right here in in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And we'll stop at 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, there's a lack. There's a lack. There's a lack of substance there's a lack of what i need there's no grapes on the vines the fig trees aren't doing what they're supposed to do there's no olive crop there look there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls barren empty you ever been there in your life you ever been not not even monetarily spiritually barren empty god where are you at What are you doing? Why do I feel so empty? Why is your spirit? Why do I not feel your spirit in my life? And so here we have this being things that represent what we need to be alive, but it starts with though. And when something starts with though, there's something coming after that that we got to pay attention to, right? Verse 18, though leads to yet. Though tells about the circumstance that I'm in. Yet leads me to a place where I get to decide what I'm going to do with those circumstances. Yet I will rejoice the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. Even when things aren't going good, even when I I don't see the things in my life that I think that I really should see and I need to see, I I'm going to rejoice the Lord anyway. I'm going to rejoice the Lord for that kid who hasn't come back home yet, back to the Lord. I'm going to rejoice the Lord for that marriage. I'm going to rejoice the Lord for greater finances. I'm going to rejoice the Lord because he's given me breath in my life to rejoice him with. I'm going to rejoice the Lord for every day he gives me to live, even though there are no sheep in there, and even though there are no olives, even though the fields are empty of crops, even though the fig tree is not blossoming, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. In other words, even though what the world says I should have isn't making sense right now, and what I really need is not there. Habakkuk's saying, listen, if you can't find anything else to be joyful about, be joyful in your Savior. Make a proclamation over your life that you're discontented in right now. Make a proclamation in that area, that circumstance that you may be struggling in. And watch what happens. You go from no to yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And then you go from though to yet to fact. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Say that word with me, strength. The goodness of God brings strength in our life. I don't know about you, but I feel weak a lot of days. I, I know, I'm smart enough to know I need God's strength in my life. I haven't always known that. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights and it goes on to say it's written for the director of music, play on strings, in which I don't know how to play strings, so I'm not going to get into that part. We'll let Brian preach that next time. I See, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You ever seen a deer in their own element? You ever seen them just jump around? I mean, now take that for the deer that we know. Again, the context in which this is written, you have to understand, the geographical context in which this is written wasn't like what we live in. It was full of mountains. It was full of crags. It was full of uh, cliffs that would go straight up. I mean, this was some gnarly country. If you study David's life in the Engedi, I mean, just the whole idea of his country, maybe you've had the opportunity to go there, but there's some gnarly terrain there. And so the writer's saying, look, I'm trying to get this point across. Even though there's, this stuff's not going on, I'm still going to rejoice. Why am I going to rejoice? Because when I rejoice, I find strength in him. When I find strength in him, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, like hind's feet of a deer. And so he's writing this from the standpoint of saying, I have literally watched a deer climb the face of a mountain. Mountain goats. Anybody ever heard of a mountain? You need to get out more often. Mountain goats are goats that are found on a mountain. (laughs) That's what they are. Makes my feet like the feet of a deer. And so riding from a standpoint, I'm going, I've literally watched a deer go. He enables me to go on heights. Now pull all that together. Face of a mountain. Mountains are really high. My feet now are not any longer tied down to the circumstance that I told you about in verse uh, 17. But now God's made my feet like the feet of deer and he is my strength for he enables me to go to heights. So If God's going to give me feet like that, then I'm going to climb the mountain of circumstance that's in front of me. When I climb the mountain of circumstances in front of me, I go to heights. And when I go to heights, my perspective changes on what's going on in those fig trees, what's going on in the sheep goats, what's going on with the cattle. See, my perspective totally changes when I find my strength in the Lord. And I allow him to give me strength for the circumstance, the mountain, if you will, that I'm facing. And perspective is everything. Half full, half empty, full, like when you fly, right? Which is a total step of faith. But when you fly, I I love, when I fly, I love to open the window and watch how everything under me changes, right? And then you try to figure out what's down there. Is that like a a 18-wheeler? It's not really an 18-wheeler. It's a huge warehouse. And then still no one's figured out how come like the land is in squares, If you know the answer to that, email me. Because that's bothered me for a long time. (laughs) It does. You see just squares everywhere. Okay, digressing. The, The point being, as you climb that mountain, the circumstance that you left at the bottom of that mountain, and you climb it in God's strength, God, while you're being faithful to him, I've watched it. and and this is a promise in his word, God is faithful. Faithfulness is a characteristic of God. He can't be any other way. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you think about climbing that, and the whole time you're climbing, you're climbing in faith, you're climbing in God's strength, you're rejoicing in the Lord, and you put those together, guess who's working on the sheep pen? Guess who's, who's making those trees grow? See, God's working even when you don't see it, when you do your part. So perhaps we're here today and you'd say, you know what, Jason? There's definitely a circumstance in my life. There's a mountain. I need strength. I need direction. I need, I need God so bad in this area of my life. Well, rejoice in Him. Rejoice in God, your Savior. Rejoice in the fact that He knows exactly where you're at. Let His strength encompass you in that situation. Let His strength carry you up the mountain that He's placed before you. For he's not going to let us go through anything that he doesn't trust us to go through. As long as we stick to him, we're going to make it. I've told you about the sign that someone gave Randy and I. Not to spoil the ending, but everything's going to be okay. Stick with God. Keep climbing. Keep, keep walking. And then you, you get to that place where you realize a strength in that circumstance. And you watch God change it because he's a faithful God. So maybe that's you here today. I mean, we've purposed the Coastline that... We're gonna be, we're, we're gonna read the Bible in the in the reality of the Bible. In the Bible, there's no more book that's life applicable for today than this book. And so the reality of this book says we're gonna go through hard times. Take heart, in this world you're gonna have trouble. But the reality also says, as I praise God and rejoice in him, I can I can operate in that vein of strength. So then, so maybe that's you. Or Let's go back to the procession. Maybe you're here today and, and you're not in that triumphal procession because you, you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can't do enough. You can't give enough. You can't be, you can't be good enough. There's no, there's no secret society club to the people who get to be called Christians. It's all about you putting your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Because God said, the Word said, God leads us in a triumphal procession that is found in Christ Jesus. God leads us by sending his only son, his, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lives a sinless life, dies his death on the cross, and thus overcoming the things that religion and humanity could not overcome. Now we have a way to be a part of that triumphal procession. You don't have to go to a class, although once you give your heart to the Lord, classes are great. You don't have to give a dime. You can't give your way into heaven. You can't serve your way into heaven. The only way that you can be at peace with God, Romans 5.1 says, I've, I've been justified in the eyes of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. How's the church messed that one up? And you look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And do, I want you to know this: there's a period right after that. Before you get to verse 17, there's a period. In other words, there it is right there. God's so good. So good he gave us his only son. And whoever, whoever, whoever is a blanket word that's used in the Bible a lot. I love it. Whoever, like whoever. Again, there's no secret society to accepting Jesus Christ as your prayer. Whoever. I don't know how else to say it than that. So maybe that's you. And you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus, but I know this. I feel God knocking on the door of my heart. Maybe that's you and you say, you know what? I, I need Jesus. I realize that I need a relationship with God. Maybe you need a fresh start in life. Maybe you need a starting point. Maybe you need some change. Jesus is the X factor in the word change. So if that's you, what a great day to do that. Like tons of people already today. So I want to pray for those two groups of people, people who are struggling right now, and then maybe you're here today, and you, you need Jesus in your life. Would you bow your head over his place? And if you don't have to leave, please don't. Two, three minutes, we're done. Say, Jason, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be saved. And I'm realizing that at this very moment. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up long enough for me to see it and put it right back down? I see your hand. I see your hand. Thanks. Anyone else? That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. So cool, man. People are just being honest before God right now. It's the reality of this book. God loved us so much He sent His only Son to die for us. If you raised your hand, I want to pray with you. Nothing magical about this prayer. By virtue of you raising your hand, you're confessing in your heart right now your belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We have Bibles, we have devotions, we have teams of people that want to help you in this journey. If you're comfortable, go out to the tent. If you're a shy person and you don't feel comfortable doing that, email the church, pastor will call you back. We'll get you resource. We'll get you plugged into a life group. But Right now, I want to pray with you, right now at this very moment. Pray this prayer with me, just in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for chasing me to a point where I realize I need change in my life. So right now, God, I'm taking my faith, and I'm putting it in you, and I'm putting it in Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he took my death and sin on the cross. I believe he was placed in a grave, and I believe he rose from that grave on the third day. And I believe he's in heaven and coming back for me one day. Thank you, God, that your love and your grace and your mercy are flooding my soul right now. Thank you, God, that your word says I'm being made into a new creation. I know I'm still going to have some of the same struggles, but I know I'm not going to struggle alone. Give me boldness to go out to that tent or send an email. Amen. If you're struggling in a circumstance in your life right now, Get away with God. Face the mountain. Let his strength encompass you.